you have your Bibles, we are back in Ephesians chapter 1. We took a little detour last, last week, but it wasn't really a detour. It was on purpose um, we, as we looked at our memory verse for the month of December and the Great Commission. And uh, we're going to go over that verse in just a moment. But uh, in focusing on the Great Commission, we we saw that uh, the Lord had instructed his disciples and he's instructing the church that we are to make disciples. And uh, we're back in the book of Ephesians now. And Ephesians is an excellent letter in helping the church developing disciples. And so I hope that this is a real encouragement to you this morning. But before we get into Ephesians chapter 1, I don't know if we have the verse. Do we have uh, Matthew chapter 28 uh, PowerPoint this morning? Oh, we don't. Okay, so you're going to have to turn in your Bibles. Maybe you already have it memorized. I don't know. But uh, let's take an opportunity to quote Matthew chapter 28 together. All right? One, two, three. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right? So I hope you're memorizing that. I I have this verse. We have this verse on cards um, at our various locations. And uh, I'm keeping this, uh, this card in my phone. And when I'm walking in the morning, I will pull this card out and uh, try to commit this verse to, to memory. And it makes my walk go that much faster. So wherever you find yourself that you're spending some time, maybe it's in front of the computer screen, maybe it's in the bathroom getting ready for the day, um, put this in a visible place that will remind you, you that you need to be hiding God's word in your heart. Okay? So um, encourage you with that. Now, that was Jesus gave the disciples that command just before he ascended into heaven. Now we're in Ephesians chapter 1, and this is about 30 years later. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and uh, what we're looking at this morning is Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. Uh, In the first part of the chapter so far, it's been uh, a doxology of praise that uh, Paul has poured out about what God has done uh, for our salvation and the inheritance that he's guaranteed us with through the person of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, And so now we look at Paul's prayer. And just as the doxology was one sentence of praise in the Greek, Paul's prayer in verses 15 through 23 is one sentence in the Greek. And so we are going to be looking at what Paul 
uh, is was praying for the church at Ephesus and um, what he's praying for us today. Okay, now in Ephesus, uh, Paul had been through uh, the city of Ephesus. He had taught there for three years. And this is about five years after he had left Ephesus. Ephesus was doing well, okay? Uh, Ephesus, uh, they were, the, the Christians were Christians of faith, and they loved one another. And Paul notes this in Ephesians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, let me read uh, to the end of this chapter, beginning with verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to their, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. We're going to look at four things that Paul prays in this prayer. We're going to look at uh, Paul praying for us that we would know God better, that we, number two, that we would know God's riches, number three, that we would know God's power, and then number four, that we would know God's power in Christ. And so let's look at number one. It's found in verses 17 and 18. Paul is praying that we would know God better. Verse 17 says, And the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The title of my message this morning is The Eyes of Your Heart. Paul knows God deeply. And Paul wants you and I, the church at Ephesus, to know the Father deeply, profoundly. He says, to be filled with the wisdom and the knowledge that comes from the Lord. Now, where does this knowledge come from? It comes from the Word. 
Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Church, we need to know the word of God. We need to get to know the God of this book who loves us, who has chosen us, who has called us his own. We learn who God is by reading, by meditating on, by memorizing God's word. This is part of the discipleship process. Paul wants us to know God better. And it is the Spirit who helps us to know what the Word is saying. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13, 12 and 13. Paul says this to the church at Corinth. Chapter, one, chapter 2, verse, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So it's really important, uh, child of God. If you're not a child of God, what's contained in this book is going to be very difficult for you to comprehend, for you to understand. It requires the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so if we're going to get to know God better, we've got to be in this book. We've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and allow the Spirit of God to teach our hearts. You know, oftentimes I'll come to the, to the Word and I'll just start reading the Word and not asking the Spirit to, to help me, to help me understand these things, to convey these truths to others. And, and, uh, and in my sermon preparation, I'll, there's times where I'm struggling. You know, how, how am I going to make this practical, applicable to, to the person in the pew? And I just need to pause and I need to pray to God and ask the Holy Spirit to be my teacher, my God, my helper. And when I choose to be dependent on him, humble myself, my friend, he answers that prayer every single time. We can't do we can't read this in the flesh. We need the spirit of God to be teaching us, to be sitting down with us, helping us to absorb these these truths. Paul prays that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. This is the only time in the Word of God where it says, it talks about the eyes of your heart be enlightened. Now what does that mean, that the eyes of your heart be enlightened? That means that the, God gives us the ability to see ultimate reality, 
ultimate spiritual reality according to the Word of God. We need the Word of God. You know, just like our external eyes need natural light to help us see physical reality, so our hearts needs the revelation of God's, God's word, our spiritual eyes through the revelation of God's word will help us to see ultimate reality. We need God's Holy Spirit. So God wants to illuminate our spiritual eyes. Paul is praying this that we might understand the words of this book. And then he talks about the heart. What is the heart? The heart is the mind and the will of man. This is, that, this is the seat of our, of our mind and our will. And so when he's talking about helping us to, to have eyes that, to see with our heart, He's not talking about feelings. He's not talking about mysticism or Gnosticism. He's not talking about new revelation. We already have the complete revelation of God. We don't need it to be deconstructed. We don't need anything that's contrary to the word of God. All that God once has revealed to us is in his word. And he wants us, he wants to give us the eyes from our heart to understand these things. And so Paul wants us to have the clear and insightful understanding of God's word and how it applies to our lives just as Paul has knowledge of his word for his own personal life. Now, understand where Paul is. He's in prison. He's writing from a prison cell, but you would never know it because God is so real and meaningful and personal to him God has set Paul free in his heart. He doesn't see his physical circumstances. He sees all the blessings that has come from God spiritually. He's living in a completely different reality. And God has set him free in his heart. He sees the things of God. And Paul is praying that we would see those very same things. You know, how do we get to this point? It doesn't come overnight. We've got to be hungry for the things of God. There was a seminary student who was so impressed by his seminary professor. His seminary professor knew the word of God. It was very real in his life. And so 
he went to his seminary professor and he said, you know, I want to know the word of God like you know the word of God. How do I do that? He said, well, young man, come to my house on such and such day and bring your bathing suit. So that was unusual. And so he comes on that day over to the professor's house and the professor takes him out to the jacuzzi in the backyard. And, uh, and he asks the seminary, now, what, what do you want? He says, I want to know the word of God like you know the word of God. Help me know the word of God. And so with that, uh, the seminary professor baptizes him. Not really a baptism, but he puts him under the water. Leaves him there uh, a little while, and he brings him back up. And he said, now what do you want? Tell me again what you want. He says, I want to know the word of God like you know the word of God. And so he dunks him again, and he leaves him down there a little while longer. And he brings him up, and he asks, what do you want? To know the word of God. And so he, he does this four times. And, but on the fourth time, he leaves him down there for a really long time. And then he bring, brings him back up, and he's gasping for air. And the seminary professor asks him, what do you want? And the young man says, air, I want air. And the seminary professor says, when you want the word of God like you want air, you will know the word of of God. I want to be honest with you. I'm not there yet. I need to be there. In fact, we all need to be there. And if you've sat under um, Dr. Mitchell's, any of Dr. Mitchell's classes, Dr. Mitchell is there. He knows the word of God because he has lived in the word of God. Paul is praying that we would know God better. Now, what are we to specifically know about God? Paul prays our salvation. Look at verse 18 of chapter 1. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. This is in reference to our salvation, church. Paul is praying that we would understand, have a greater appreciation for the hope of our calling, of his calling in our life, that we would understand the gospel more deeply because it all began with God. When we look at this in Paul's doxology of praise, the Bible says, Paul says that God chose you, God predestined you and adopted you and redeemed you by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He planned all of this out before time began. This was all God's doing. 
And we need to understand this. We need to appreciate this. And just like a newborn baby has no control over his or her's birth, when it came to our spiritual birth, Christian, we had no control over that as well. It is all God's doing. May we understand the hope of our calling in Christ. This is a living hope. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this relationship is secure and sure because Jesus lives. This is a blessed hope. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Titus chapter 2. Paul tells Titus here in this letter, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the lawlessness and to purify himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Church, we need to understand the hope of our calling and what God did before we were ever even born. This is a living hope. Our salvation is secure. It's it's sure. And when we understand these these things, Paul says it's going to lead to a life of obedience, a life of holiness, a life of purity. We want to live our lives for the Lord. This is a blessed hope. This is our calling. And Paul wants you and I to understand these things, to know God far more deeply and appreciate that all that he has done for us. So know God better through his great salvation for our life. Number two, know God's riches. Last part of verse 18 of chapter chapter 1 says, <clears throat> what, um, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul is in a Roman prison cell, but God has enlightened Paul's heart to see what awaits him, and he wants us to know the same thing. Paul's in chains. Physically, Paul has nothing. He's He's oppressed. He's in bondage. But this is not what Paul is thinking about. He is thinking about 
the glorious inheritance that awaits him in heaven. God's children need to realize the supreme riches of God's inheritance. We are heirs with Jesus Christ. All that's coming to Jesus, we possess as well. You know, and it's hard for us to understand this truth in our prosperous, Western, materialistic culture. You know, we live in the greatest nation uh, in the world, in the history of the world. We have everything here. We are far richer than 95% of the rest of the world population. We've got everything. And so when we hear about the riches of, of our inheritance in Christ, we treat it as not a big deal. We don't appreciate it. But if you go to third world countries or churches, they don't have anything. I mean, they're totally dependent upon their creator. They know that this world is not their home. They're just passing through. The best is yet to come. And when we, they think of the glorious riches of God's and that, that, are, that are available to them, that are coming to them, they long for eternity. They appreciate and look forward to await them. But for Christians in Western culture, we don't want to leave these things that we're surrounded by. And for many people, they're going to leave fingernail scratches in, in going to be with Lord for all eternity. That ought not to be. We have a glorious inheritance. A church we need to appreciate. We need to meditate on this. Think about all that we have in Christ that will be coming to us. David understood his inheritance. Look at Psalm chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. We know a lot of David's life. David made a lot of mistakes. He, he had a family that was messed up. He had a, he had a, a son who was, uh, who was trying to kill him. Uh, there was a king before him who was jealous of David, who was trying to kill him. David was constantly on the run. But what kept David going? His inter- eternal inheritance. Look at Psalm chapter 16. I'm going to read two verses, verses 6 and 7. David says this, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. 
the eyes of David's heart has been enlightened. He knows that in this world, it isn't it. The, The lines have fallen in pleasant places. He knows the inheritance that is coming. And the Spirit of God has instructed David, has quieted David's heart in the middle of the night when his life was in danger. David was thinking about his sure and secure future. How much do you think about your inheritance? Paul is in a prison cell and totally set free in his heart. He's not in bondage spiritually because he knows what awaits him. He knows his God and that he is not alone. And so he's praying for the church that they would know these things as well. So know God better through his incredible plan of salvation and then know God's riches, the inheritance that waits us. And then the third thing Paul, Paul's praying for us is that we know God's power. God's power in verses 19 and 20. Only divine power is sufficient to bring the first two realities to fulfillment. Only the power of God. Look at verse 19. There is no power shortage when it comes to God. Uh, Paul piles it on in verse 19. He says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? He uses four words there. He uses the word power. um, And that that word power uh, means dynamite. And, uh, and then he says, according to the working of his great and mighty, uh, his great might. So the word working is where we get the word energy or energize. And so God has power. He's using his energy and he's using his great might. That last word, great, the two, those last two words is his vast strength. This is what God is performing in our lives. We have this power made available to us. Now, how much power? Enough power to raise Jesus from the dead. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So this power has raised Jesus from the dead. And we need to think about that for a moment, church. God's power brought a man from death to life. 
The resurrection is everything. We serve a God. We worship a God who has the power over death. Brought a man who was dead, dead for three days, back to life. That is the God we serve. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that is too hard for God. God raised his son from the dead, and then the Bible says, and he seated Jesus at the right hand of himself. That's God's power. How much do you think about that? That same power is made available to you and I. There is no other power like that. There is no angelic power, no demonic power that, has, that can do what God has done. God has reversed the power of death and will do so again for all who believe. Literally. And here's Paul sitting in a prison cell consumed by the knowledge of God, what God has done for him, consumed by the riches that await him, that are his in Christ, and the power of God that raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul knows this. And Paul is praying that we would understand the very same things, the power that dwells in you. And then number four, Paul prays God's power in Christ because of his resurrection. What does the Bible say in verse 20? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God's power is in Christ. And because of his resurrection, because of Christ's resurrection, Christ today in this very moment sits exalted at the right hand of the Father sits exalted in that position right now. Jesus sits in the most prestigious position in the universe. He is over all. Christ sits exalted over all rule, all authority, all power, dominion, names, not only now, but in the future. Everything is under his feet, including the church. 
He is Lord of all. Over all and over all in this church. He is the head. We are the body of Christ. Jesus is supreme. In church, nothing threatens that supremacy. Now or ever. And neither should we feel threatened. One more time. Paul is sitting in a Roman prison in chains. Rome, the guards of that prison cell, think that they are in charge, that they hold all the cards. And yet Paul knows that Jesus is supreme, sits over all of it. And Paul is praying that you and I would know and believe the very same thing. It's the Christmas season. Christmas is a great opportunity for the church to remind the world of why Jesus came. Jesus left heaven's glory. He left heaven's throne, took on flesh and became one of us and lived the life that you and I could never live. He fulfilled all of God's will, all of God's law and was the perfect lamb who died in our place so that you and I would not have to encounter the wrath of God. And if you believe what Jesus has done, guess what? You are no longer under God's wrath. But if you question that, you've never committed your life to him, you've never surrendered your life and faith to him, he's not the Lord and Savior of your life, guess what? God's wrath still hangs over you. You are an enemy of God. But God wants you to be reconciled to him. And we are reconciled through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Have you made that decision? That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. God came to the earth as a little baby and grew in and was that perfect man all 33 years of his life. He died, he rose from the grave, and guess what? He's alive today forevermore, and he is king of kings, and he is lord of lords, and he reigns over all of it. And right now we know these things spiritually. Our heart sees these things. We believe these things because this is what the word of God says. May we know these things more deeply. May the eyes of our heart 
seat of our will be enlightened that we might live a life of obedience that we may not that we might, would not panic when things aren't going our way God is fully and completely in control we know him we know the riches that await us we know his power and his power is all in Christ. And when our lives are in Christ, this power is available to us as well.